Tootsie, right? Or would that just be boring? In honor of Our Brand is Crisis, what movie role that was played by a man should be played by Sandra Bullock? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with the Jimmy Stewart role in It's a Wonderful Life, because Sandra Bullock is an every woman, and also I'm sure she can sing a great Buffalo Gals. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, Captain Hook in Hook, not in Peter Pan. That would be weird. I'm Matt Patches, and I think I was going to go with Indiana Jones, but really, let's let that sacred role go and just say that uh, Sandra Bullock should play Jack Colton in a Romancing the Stone remake. And I'm David Ehrlich, and in keeping in the theme with uh, our brand Is Crisis and her co-star Billy Bob Thornton, I would love to see Sandra Bullock play the lead role in A Bad News Bears. I really thought you were going to go with Sling Blade. No. Wow, or Bad Santa. Sling Blade. Bad Mrs. Santa. <laughs> Bad Mrs. Claus, I believe. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Claus. Wow. I don't know I'm blank. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 93 for Tuesday, October 27th, 2015, remaining the year of our time lord, Dr. Emmett Brown, even though we are now fully in the future and still have uh, any hoverboards. I know. Sorry, David. It's never going to end. And then we have to figure out what happens in 2016 that we can talk about for a year. year. of our... Uh, the year Batman faced Superman and the well, dawning of justice. No. According to the the Mike Ryan, it's uh, the year that a character... On a talk show in Ghostbusters 2, predicted the end of the world. There you go. Perfect. On February okay. 16th, 2016. Perfect. Well, if you would like to get a review of this podcast in before that happens, you should probably leave us a review. We uh, don't have any reviews to read this week, so we are trying to convince you to do so. Patches, do you have any schemes to convince people to leave us a review? Yes. If some, if people leave a re- an iTunes review this week, I will um, tweet that their favorite movie is a poem. <laughs> they just have to tell Ooh. me in the review what that movie is, and I will tweet that. And I will it's not. I will not give any context. I will just tweet it. It is a good deal. That's a big stamp of approval. Wow, that is. Um, Dave, how about you? Go. Oh, no, I think we should just I go with that. Okay, no, fine. That's good. That, what? That's great. Never mind. No, I, you. You came with. We shouldn't blow them all at once. Exactly. Damn. It. That's what she said. But tweet, that's <laughs> this a, week. That is a really excellent uh, low commitment. <laughs> Yeah. This week, Patches puts it all on the line for your <laughs> reviews. I'll do anything. You used to call me on my. You used to, you used to. Yeah. You used to call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. Call me on my cell phone. So, last weekend, after. Months, if not years, of hype. Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs opened wide. It had already played in limited release, where it had the highest uh, average box office take per screen of any film this year, and was appeared to be well on its way to being a huge hit. Uh, audiences, for the most part, with a few reservations, as anyone who's listened to our Steve Jobs review episode may know, uh, were on board with the movie. Written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by... Danny Boyle, starring Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, the most famous man not quite living anymore of recent times. Not quite. Uh, only you know something really, we don't? Only, I do. Only See the new paranormal activity and uh, you'll get the full story. 
<laughs> the jobs dimension. Uh, Eclipse, he lives on in our media. He lives on in our pockets. Eclipsed his fame only by Taylor Swift. Uh, this what movie seemed to have it all in the bag. About? It was the subject of an intense uh, behind-the-scenes war between, you know, which all, the, the dirty laundry of which all came out in the Sony hack. Amy Pascal of Sony was, was fighting... I was a little bit concerned about the three-act structure of the film. Well, not the fact that it had three acts, but the three acts were all uh, behind the scenes uh, before these product launches and confined to just these three scenes. Um, they bought the rights to the Steve Jobs biography, I believe, the day after it came out, or, or before that when it was a galley, whatever. It was a very hype movie. It came out. It did not perform very well. It averaged $2,850 per screen for a grand total of $7 million, putting it in seventh place for last weekend by comparison the last fucking witch hunter earned three thousand five hundred and eight dollars per screen so People steve jobs did better than gem and the holograms but worse than the last witch hunter and better than rock the casbah just in case we're keeping count um it had a better it did do better than rock the casbah all across the board you are absolutely right uh, rock the casbah also not a phenomenal opening weekend anyway uh, a lot of pundits are reading into this saying that the film performed well enough to not be embarrassed and discounted from awards consideration, which to a lot of people is really all that matters, um, but clearly is not going to reach the $96.9 million that The Social Network, which is the obvious comparison here, given that it was also written by Aaron Sorkin about a flawed tech visionary, um, which actually ended up grossing $224 million worldwide, which is, again, a figure that Steve Jobs... Uh, won't come anywhere close to um, and a lot of people are trying to figure out why and I am one of those people I uh, will be the first to admit that I'm as stymied as anyone else as to why this movie didn't perform well my best guess and I'm very curious to hear from you guys what you think uh, is twofold one the social network and the idea of Facebook uh, was a lot more palatable to audiences who are hungry for the inside scoop on how that story went down it felt a lot more current uh, back in 2010 um, it was a lot more relevant then, and I think the story had a little bit more sex appeal as a result of that. I don't necessarily mean sex and sex appeal, but you know what I mean. Had a little bit more cultural cachet. I honestly think that people don't give a shit about Steve Jobs. I think that they are familiar with who he is. They recognize broad strokes, his accomplishments. Um, I don't think anyone is particularly interested in his personal life. I don't think Aaron Sorkin is particularly interested in his personal life, which I don't think audiences glean necessarily from those who didn't see it. But we argued, or at least I argued on a review episode, that the movie is more about all capitals, like the great American man, than it is uh, the particulars of Steve Jobs. Uh, and I think that the people who are familiar with him aren't especially interested in a movie that's going to make them feel bad about all the iPhones and iPods and iPads they bought. Um, I, I just don't think I wouldn't that argue the is... movie does that though well I'm not saying that it does I'm saying that for the people who don't know that uh, well the trailers it... definitely villainize him in some yes. way they make him it's... very aggressive and, and demeaning to people I don't know that, he, and of villain. course you know the people were a lot more comfortable hating on Mark Zuckerberg I mean the, the slogan the tagline for the social network was you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. It was writ large across the picture of Jesse Eisenberg's face in the poster. Well, um, so we Mark talk Zuckerberg about the, is still alive. Yes, and we can talk about the merits of, uh, of even bothering to compare these two films. But I do think that um, the, nobody really – I mean, I, I just don't think anybody really cared about Steve Jobs. Well, I think, I think it's worth noting a, that Walter Isaacson's book that this movie is based on was the number one – 
selling book of 2011 that it sold mm. you know 380,000 copies in the US when it came out at the end of the year this is it was the That's top a good point. Uh, selling book at the end of a year and uh, Amazon's number one seller um people love Steve Jobs I think people it, it's amazing I mean the the uh Ashton Kutcher Jobs movie kind of bombed too that it I mean, made it only much... a little bit less than this did. Uh, oh, really? it only made yeah. sixty thousand dollars less than this movie yeah. is first weekend well okay so that but that movie opened wider right that like came out and it was writing sundance and and it was well, kind of in an still, open field was, too right i think well, it, came but it was March also or something it was expected to be a flop and this was not no, that's totally true. I'm just saying I don't, I don't know if that movie took away the wind, but again, that didn't that couldn't also that move, didn't move eh, that didn't muster up the energy either. Uh, people were not going out to see that Jobs movie. I wonder. So if that's you're saying that people are interested in the story as reflected by the book sales, but there's something that's not translating about it to. Do you think yeah, I think the fascination of... is why people tune in live to see these actual presentations, right? They don't want to see right. the drama. They're not interesting interested in a, a biographic figure as much as um well you know i guess steve jobs the book came out right up like almost right after he died like right oh yeah that's right after and i think the timing you know cannot be discounted um but i think people who obsess i mean we see people on the internet obsessing over steve jobs but they're obsessing over apple they're obsessing over this titan who comes out on stage and and shows people these life-changing devices that's why everyone's live streaming these apple events because it feels like innovation um behind the scenes drama is it's superfluous to that um but I, yeah well, I i'm still mystified scenes... that it didn't do well i really thought that everyone would just go see it because they think they want a movie about steve jobs it's not that they want one or they don't they just figured they would well i'm thinking about how fun the social network was and how it could have operated off of word of mouth in a really different way than steve jobs had like there were just in, like instantly quotable lines from the social network from the moment it premiered at the New York Film Festival, that people were saying to each other over and over again, it was something that was worth being a part of. And I don't think Steve Jobs has that. And I think that's really. It's not as, I think. It's, I, wait, I agree. What is the line from Steve Jobs? You're going to like repeat the way you know to get rid of the the. It's cleaner. We well, still the only, say that. The only reason we say that is because that was all over the trailers. I think the trailers for this movie play up something different than the kind of high pace behind the scenes action that makes the whole movie move you know uh, it's but i mean like, as somebody who didn't see it i would say that the advertising doesn't make the story compelling enough to make me think that i'm going to see something about steve jobs that i have to know or that i didn't already know yeah. from living through his yeah, he's death not really changing the world in this movie like mark zuckerberg yeah was. he's being a shitty father right. which you might know about steve jobs already you probably do there's the, there's an element to the social network with like harvard kid can't get a girlfriend becomes a billionaire like oh, and, and like, i think that, and like that... has a huge falling out with his best friend in the process like, right, there's a real right, right. human but... drama at the center of the social network that steve jobs can't really get to right it's like guy who kind of makes computers continues to kind of make computers and like alienates <laughs> and like... the people in his life but right. kind of tries to make up for it and kind of doesn't and it's like what's a... interesting is i thought that uh, I thought that when I looked at the social network's weekend-by-weekend weekend performance that it would have platformed. I did not remember that it opened wide immediately. I mean, it played at the New York Film Festival, but then it opened very shortly thereafter uh, on 2,700 screens. Wow. And I, one of my takeaways from the Steve Jobs things is that they could have afforded to platform it more slowly. They could have built word of mouth um, more slowly. I think with Universal handling it after the year that they've had – 
and the climate these days where there's sort of this rush toward well the rush towards the first weekend has been in effect for eons but there there is a mounting sense of impatience particularly with vod uh that they may have jumped the gun. Well, you can understand why. There are so many movies out right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking last week, just like, I think, eight movies that are all definitely going to be awards contenders and that sort of thing opened on a single day. But isn't that at all? the of fact that, like, they're only making this movie so that they can be in it with the, for the long haul, that they can ride it for six months? I mean, like, isn't doesn't it seem that that anxiety to get that money and get out feel like it's at odds with the fact that like you only make this sort of money well, that's why in this sort of movies it's so, so weird it. that like the movies coming out this week are burnt and our brand is crisis like what is it about is it halloween that scares people away from this weekend no one's going to go to the movies on saturday i guess that's probably the case but well, like, you, could you still... see a split well we go go the, the the audience is just split where it's like there's stuff that's for adults that are like not binging candy and being pissed about being in school and Looking for a place to like, you know, make out and wondering when the next Marvel movie's coming. Like, I don't know, the Intern or the Martian or stuff that's you know doing fairly well for that audience. And there just seems to be a lot of it in coming up because I guess they're shuffling out of the way of like I don't know Spectre or yeah. I don't know what's coming in November. Spectre besides the just Hunger the rest Games. of the awards. Movie. Oh, yeah. oh, the I, I've been hearing too. rumors all year long that there's another Hunger Games movie, and I'm starting to think <laughs> that they might be true. Yeah. Uh, so either yourself. someone's playing a very elaborate prank on me with these subway ads, uh, <laughs> or or this is actually happening and we need to brace for it. Yes, yeah, true. I mean, it's going to be fun to see what spills over to be the uh, like unintentional winner of Star Wars spillover later in the year. As as counter programming, you mean, or? Well, yeah, just like when you know everybody's not seeing Star Wars, or when they go to the theater and Star Wars is sold out, what ends up being oh, the benefit of yeah. that? Steve Jarvis. I think that's going to be fun. I mean, if they well, get hateful it in eight, theaters, hateful eight will be the winner of that competition. Or like, but you're also hell, seeing like in, sisters or something. In my area, at least, you're seeing a lot of the um, stuff that you guys got to see in festivals, sort of trickling out to the art house too. So it's like adult films that are being wide released like Steve Jobs need to you know go fight adult Hotel films, Transylvania eh? 2 for a screen or also and, like uh, Room be tough. or yeah yeah like stuff that's been uh, or Black Mass or whatever and Black Mass is not as good as Steve Jobs yeah anyway. but still for the same audience yeah it's a tough time award season when is the next Marvel movie coming out <laughs> I don't know don't ask us these questions Dave, who I can say with some degree of certainty is the most obsessive Goosebumps fan in the country, or at least that I know, On this read all call. of the books over the past few months and Instagrammed in detail with his little fingers on the fucking Instagram app all of his thoughts about the movies. The, the dexterity and arthritic pain and thumbs alone was enough to give me Goosebumps, uh, has some <laughs> thoughts about the film and i think we need to hear them oh i just got to see the film and uh yeah yes i mean it's interesting because i I would say like uh, reading all the books and seeing the movies aren't necessarily two experiences that you need to have and uh, (laughs) depending uh you know on what you're looking for what itch you're trying to scratch like i don't think if you've had if you're an adult 
person that was around when Goosebumps was around, but it didn't like pull you in through like a book fair at school or being sold at the supermarket in individual volumes. Uh, then there's not you're gonna like revisit them and be like, well, I was reading. I don't know. Boxcar children. No, that's sort of, that's younger. That's slants younger. Animorphs. That was about the same age. Yeah. Maybe you were reading Animorphs. Um, but there's definitely a nostalgic value in uh, revisiting them, at least if you remember anything about Goosebumps. Even if you remember the TV show adaptations that ran for uh, four seasons, um, most of them were based on books, not all of them. But uh, they will sort of, these books will scratch your itch and they take about like, I don't know, 40 minutes to read. Uh, so it's like binging a Netflix show. The movie recreates, I think, the experience R.L. Stein wants the reader to have in like film form. So, so it's like, when it is plays... this over? When is this over? Okay, here's the <laughs> twist. Okay, good night. Not necessarily that, but you find yourself dancing in between horror tropes, but being used sort of as action set pieces or comedy. You know, zombies are rising out of a a graveyard but it's not like terrifying it's like adventure it's like indiana jones facing skeletons even though that never happened but if it did it'd feel like goosebumps um but in terms of like there is definitely a twist and they call out there's going to be a twist because jack black's playing a uh, characterized rl stein which is actually the most tolerable jack black's been in a family movie since school of rock i think wasn't that like 10 years ago? God. What else fits in that category? Gulliver's, Gulliver's Travels. Travels. <laughs> Same director shit. as Gulliver's Travels. Who really? really wow. you know, doesn't bungle this one up uh, too badly. But definitely it's like, uh, I don't know. It's weird for me with my particular geek inclinations to see the movie not treat the books as canon, but include the books. Like the you know Star Wars, Game of Thrones part of my brain kind of fritzes out. Like, the, you know, the giant praying mantis that's in the movie that's, like, actually a robot on a ride in the book, but they treat it as, like, a thing that has blood. Not important. The important <laughs> thing is that uh, if you're, like, I don't know, if you have kids, I think, that are around Goosebumps age, this is, like, a movie you could go that isn't, like, offensive. Uh, it's, like, a Jumanji level of offensiveness to an adult where it's just, like, that movie happened and I didn't look at my watch until five minutes before it was over. Uh, but the books, I think, is something that you could revisit for a nostalgia value if you're getting that Goosebumps Jones uh, but you're this not, time around Halloween. You're not going to say that the movie ruined your childhood, as it seems like many people might say about uh, an adaptation of something they love that doesn't seem great to them. Right. I don't think so. If anything, uh, the movie accentuated more what the books were and started making me think like the stuff that I love about Halloween and the stuff that I attached to my childhood. And none of that's really scary. It's all symbolic. It's witches on brooms. It's uh, jack-o'-lanterns. It's uh, kids in costumes. And that's more of a sense of fun than it is a sense of terror. So where my adult self would love to like watch a horror movie or read a horror novel that uh, nostalgic pull of what Halloween used to mean when I didn't think murder was real is like uh, what draws me to revisiting Goosebumps books. What is the deepest, and maybe some people uh, in the movie. What is the deepest cut Goosebump reference in the movie? The deepest cut Goosebumps reference in the movie? There's a lot because it's not only based on the original. Uh, let's see. The deepest cut Wait, Goosebumps what? in... It's not based on just the original Goosebumps books. It's also based on the... Uh, 
uh, there's some give yourself goosebumps characters in there. There's some whatever the uh, Horrorland uh, wow. extension series was. But I would say the biggest, the deepest cut is that um, the plot twist of the movie is actually predictable if you know the names of all the Goosebumps heroines. Wow. <laughs> Do they like spell out the plot twist? Yeah. Uh, you start to you can figure out that there's something up uh, with the character in question. And with the second that person was introduced, I was like, oh, that's from blank. Oh. And nobody else knew that. And uh, that was the twist of the movie. That's uh, that's pretty impressive, actually. So always read the books that you read when you were 10, because it comes in <laughs> handy when you watch a movie that's based right. on the books you read when you were 10. Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over For our third segment this evening, we're going to talk, as you may know, anyone who is on this earth uh, who is alive right now was probably aware that Adele, we're talking about the right subject now, Adele, who was mixed up earlier, is uh, back with her first single in three years. It is called Hello. I learned of it at 7.30 in the morning when I woke up on Friday. The internet was a buzz. Downloaded it immediately. Listened to it before the time I even put a foot on the ground. Technology is incredible. What I didn't know until later, long after I had had every word of the song memorized, of course, because it is beautiful and Adele speaks to me, is that... Uh, pronouncing... This name Xavier Dolan. Nuts. Yeah, we'll go with that. What do you think uh, it is? Yeah, that sounds about right. Xavier Dolan. That's uh, that's fine. Oh, Xavier Dolan. <laughs> no. uh, the filmmaker who listeners to this podcast are probably familiar with, who created, directed uh, Mommy, Lawrence Anyways, Heartbeats, I Killed My Mother, Tom at the Farm, Not in That Order, uh, the Wonderkin, as they say, this young filmmaker who was 19 years old when he film a can. We all hate him, but we love him anyway because his movies are great, uh, as much as it pains me. Um, is the person who directed the video Under Wraps, this video that accompanied the song and has since been watched. Under Wraps. All those scoop hounds are really trying to get the latest. Uh, well, for, uh, they're video. not, but when you think of the degree of secrecy, of course, you know, in the music industry, uh, there are things that are possible that are not in film, which is disappointing. No, no but... one knew Adele's new album and this video was coming right. a week before. I mean, people know that Radiohead are making an album, but nobody will know about it until uh, what it is, what it's called, when it's coming out, until the day that they announce it. Um, there is no El Mayimbi who is out there scooping them um that's the, the industry simply works too quickly adele had promised her fans an album for a long time which is not to suggest they were entitled to it but uh people knew that it was coming um and they didn't know exactly when and this video i mean he had flown to england to meet with her and then she had flown to montreal or the outskirts of montreal to shoot this video um everybody who was on the crew was was had to sign confidentiality waivers up the wazoo uh, they edited it in secret. I mean, this is all, you know, untold millions of dollars are at risk if something like this gets out um, in the short term. And here we are. It's Monday at night as we're recording this. Uh, it premiered on Friday morning. It has 81.7 million views on YouTube and I'm sure many other views in other places. Uh, and it's clear that 
especially when you look at this in context of like the, the Drake video hotline bling that people are really excited about right now, which is a song that has been out and not ignored, certainly, you know, not by most people's standards, but by Drake's standards, not like a colossal hit, for a few months now, suddenly be popped and became this thing in the culture because of this fun video that he does that is, uh, uh, he's dancing, he's wearing his owl sweatshirt, which people who are a little bit hipper than I knew was a thing before they saw this video. Which David uh, will soon own. Yeah, well, it was $19 on Amazon. I just bought it because I like the owl. Um, I did not realize <laughs> that he has, like, his whole brand. Whatever. <laughs> Taking it back for me. Um, and suddenly that video and that song are, are everywhere. Uh, and the video has clearly catalyzed that transition. Um, and this is not especially relevant, but Xavier Dolan's video is the first shot on IMAX. It's a strange and interesting detail. It's uh, And it's a strange video because it actually it's one of those videos that imposes the text of what's happening in the video, the sound, the ambient sort of sound from the video over the song in places. So it, it, it's like an impure way of hearing the song in a way. Um, but And it's the most... Xavier Dolan thing you've ever seen. I mean, it's uh, it's there, there's Adele and he are such perfect collaborators. Um, it's what a beautiful thing that we live in a world where these two crazy kids could find one another. Uh, it's it, it seems like it was written in the stars. Anyway, my feeling is that for a few years the music video seemed to not have the same precedence that it did in the TRL era, and I'm talking both for indie artists who, of course, you know, weren't really involved with TRL, and also major pop stars who used that sort of platform as their bread and butter. And recently, of course, you know, with Vivo and YouTube, and recently, I mean, even for years after the creation of YouTube, it seemed like this wasn't the case to me. But really, over the past two or three years, videos have exploded and become essential tools for major pop and hip-hop and R&B stars to, uh, to share their music and have people care and turn into memes and... And the memification of all this stuff, it needs that sort of uh, visual counterparty. The music alone isn't enough. Um, so I, I'm just curious to talk to you guys about how you see music videos in the culture. If I, I'm curious to touch on the whole idea of name branding for directors. Director X directed the Drake video. It's always sort of confused me that music video directors have these sort of DJ <laughs> names, uh, pseudonyms and whatnot, whereas film directors do not. So unless you're like Alan Smithy. Or Spike, Spike um, Jones. Well, but that's like his name. I mean. Like it may not be his birth name, but it's all right, fair his enough. name. Fair enough. Uh, but I'm sure that Director X is probably has a name that is not Director X. Uh, I'm no, curious a lot of things about way. where. Yes, where. Peter uh, X is a good, his father. He's, <laughs> he's really Speed Racer's brother. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm curious in, in having a little bit of a conversation about. Where music videos are right now in our culture, the role they play, um, and how you guys—well, if they—if you see them, this is just really being the the beginning of the next stage for them. And then speaking to something important. that you just said, I had learned a fact over the weekend that I was surprised that all the top ten most viewed YouTube videos of all time are all music videos. I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, and and what are they? Eight out of know? ten are from the last two years. So Taylor Swift mm. has two. Katy Perry has two. Justin Bieber's uh, baby is in there, but that was a few years ago. And uh, Enrique Iglesias is the Baleando is one of the most viewed YouTube videos uh, of all time. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. So and, and Psy is the number yeah, one. Psy is number one. Oh, like Megan Trainor wow. is all about the bass. Is one of the most viewed right. YouTube videos of all time. One billion. So it's easier views. to to make to crack that list now 
that it used yeah, to be. which is it? I mean, why? That's that seems backwards. It should be more difficult, right? Like these classic videos should continue to get huge traction and and solidify themselves at the top. But no, it's actually easier now than ever to kind of break through, and it must be speaking to our interest in music videos or the viability as as uh, bite-sized entertainment for people on the internet. Um, because, yeah, I think, as you said, David, a few years ago, it seemed like kind of a dying art. Or maybe I'm thinking way back when, when I was buying those Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry, uh, Chris Cunningham music video collections, and that felt like the end of the music video for mm. me. Like, it's, it's really just visualist... Uh, fodder and if you have a few bucks and, and you're a French band you can get Michel Gondry to make something <laughs> wacky or if you're the White Stripes he'll build Legos for you in his basement you know that's the end of the music video but no it's back and it's revitalized and um, it's so funny because I don't, I don't know if there are a lot of music video directors emerging from that world anymore and crossing over and becoming big names in in the filmmaking world um you know, we had a well, lot of them there's... with like Fincher and uh, Jonathan Glazer, I guess. These guys out of the 90s, you know, Fincher wanted to make an HBO television show all about this kind of music video director boom. Uh, HBO killed that for, I can't imagine why. Who doesn't want to watch a television show about that? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was so huge in the 90s that there were people, you know, I had a conversation with uh, Jean-Claude Serra, who directed Run All Night and Unknown. Uh, and he told me earlier this year that, you know, he wasn't interested in even making short films or even films when he first got to film school. He was just so enamored by music video directors like Fincher that all he wanted to do was make music videos. That was going to show off the mo his skills. And, you know, we come to have uh, music video directing as kind of a pejorative against uh, certain Hollywood movies. But it was so huge and then not. Well, yeah, the... I think it's stopped... Oh, go ahead, Katie. Well, I was just going to say the music video directing thing has changed so much based on what we're seeing from these movie, from these videos that are hits or even the Xavier, Xavier Delon one. Like, what makes a music video is really uh, wide and varied. I mean, that uh, insult has always been kind of cliched, but it really feels so now. Yeah, I think it's become a honed marketing tool rather than, like, a gateway to filmmaking. I don't think there are a lot of people that would be like, get me the person that did track six on Beyonce's video album to, you know, direct me the next... Well, actually, they might let him direct the next Ant-Man. That, that feels like something that could happen. I think it's more likely, like, if you're going to be a filmmaker because there are things like, you know, YouTube or just the internet, it's more likely that you're going to be able to show off your style narratively because that's going to be the way that you want to do it. Where I feel like in the past music videos where uh, the way that the money people understood to, to let new talent, you know, sort of like into the room. And now because, you know, the way the internet's diversified, they could just go out and cherry pick the talent that way. So the music video has become this thing where it's like, uh, you got to have something on YouTube as soon as your single drops because people are going to stream it more often and they're going to buy it. So for a while, that was the lyric video mm -hmm. that would just have the lyrics, you know, animate on. And then those got like, you know, uh, super popular. And then uh, videos maybe around the Beyonce time uh, when she just dropped all of them with an album and it was like uh, additional material more than it was your way into the material uh, music videos have become, you know, like large and outsized. And I think you, in now you're going to see more of uh, like 
music videos trying to do things narratively. I would hope at least because if you're going to invest, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into, you know, a couple minutes worth of film, might as well go the Michael Jackson route when he was doing that and making Thriller. You can on different formats these days for basically the same amount of money. Uh, given you know how much visual effects and whatnot have come up, so hopefully there's like a new narrative thing. But right now, their like resurgence in popularity is because they, they figured out how to sharpen them into a marketing tool. And, that's what yeah. it and looks like, like the the sophistication of YouTube ads has made that more po- uh, possible. And how Billboard now counts YouTube plays toward a song being a hit. Like that's why Psy Psy was when it changed. Like that's how Gangnam Style became like a Billboard number one hit because it was getting this insane YouTube play. And Drake just missed out on uh, having a number one song for Hotline Bling because Apple Music, which the streaming service that they released it through, uh, does not count plays towards that. So uh, uh, the, the weekend one again, and that's a lesson. That'll change soon. That's really interesting. But do, so do you see music videos? I mean, I, I feel like music videos used to uh, innovate and have crazy special effects or like make a choice that's going to start influencing the movies. But I don't know if... We see a lot of that, maybe because the the directors aren't graduating as much and kind of bring yeah, these special it's... effects. I, I think about, it's almost like, well, Xavier Dolan is going to Adele and, and you know, carving out a new sector of pop culture to dominate. Sure. No, no, I'm saying, no, she... that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this is what the trend is now. We see people going and being expressive in the music video world as opposed to graduating forward. But yeah. But there's also, I mean, like, you remember all that talk in the 90s about music video style film direction. There was, like, all these critics were bemoaning, um, you know, long before Torque and Joseph Kahn really applied a music video aesthetic to film that was uh, uh, reviled. But I think, like, you know, there were there were films that we would watch now and think were, pro- you know, positively sedate compared to films that we got later were accused of having this music video style. Uh, and that seemed a lot more apparent now. And now they seem to be separate it seems like music video directors who this director x character who may as well be steven spielberg for all i know i or you could google director x and it'll tell you exactly his birth name some jewish kid who grew up in scarsdale i don't know and i'm too lazy to look it up but uh the the point being that there is this feeling of a divide that they're not crossing over um and i wonder if that's reflected in the aesthetics as well if you're not going to see any you know residual effect from from a hotline bling, from, well, Psy and, and Gang of Style is a few years old now, but uh, from Justin Bieber's new video, Sorry, which is very popular, or, or whatever. That, like, are these two cultures, have they deviated enough? And is it that, that music video directors who are able to sign on to projects and execute them very quickly don't see the incentive to tell more conventional narratives anymore and jump into that feature game. Well, they're, I mean, I they're think, reaching yeah. younger audiences and probably able to do more innovative things by focusing on YouTube audiences. Yeah, Joseph Kahn would tell you he would go broke trying to make movies, so that's why he keeps making Well, he did. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's not suited for a narrative. It's more like, I don't know, the vaudeville of pop culture. It's more suited to a performance where, like, OK Go is going to spend, you know two weeks choreographing something and stitch it together in the editing room. So the director becomes like a workman or an executor, like the guy who's directing the Oscars or the Emmys. 
it's not a position where it's like, well, we're having trouble in the second act, so let's talk to the music video director because the audience wants to think that the artist is the one that's providing all the creativity to what they're seeing because that's how mm-hmm. the product's like been oriented. So it's like, I don't want to see Director X's video. I want to see a video that's like, Drake, go dance to your own song. And then he right. just sort of does it. That's how it's supposed to feel. So you think that the deal is that, that they're they're not advertising any potential auteurship in music video-ness, like the Director X. It's not like Hype Williams, where it's like a Hype Williams joint. I mean, you see now in a lot of these music videos that they will have credits on them before they roll. I mean, they will say, like, this is the name of the song, and this in big block letters across the screen, and, like, this is the name of the director. But it seems like, that, if anything, that might be a concession to the fact that it's clear that all the attention is going to be paid to the artist and none to the filmmaker. I think it's more akin to producing a hit single than it is to directing a short or a feature film where it's like, here's my name on it. This all went through, you know, their vision went through my quality machine and I spit out my joint. It's not, you know, I sat down and wrote something and we worked together to make sure that the song and the visuals were serving my narrative. I don't know if I'd buy I think that. It, it's, it could still be a visually groundbreaking medium. Like, I don't know, Radiohead, that video that was shot entirely on lasers. But you're going to want a technical person to execute that. You're not going to want a storyteller to execute that. That's like a choice. It's just going to end up being more viral and media thing if you're doing some sort of short visual meme punch. I don't know if I, I totally buy that because, we, well, first off, we're, we're, we're totally veered away from whatever music video style is. Like, it's not crazy and intense and 90s and flashy. Like, that that era is done. Not even, um, what's his name? Uh, Nima Norizada, who did uh, Project X. He was a music video director and uh and and that piece of shit that came out this summer um, oh american ultra yes yes so he like going to project x obviously this kind of found footage is craziness and that he feels like the last person to graduate from music videos um that era of quote-unquote music video direction but now you have like joseph khan's a perfect explanation or a perfect example of you know blank space number two most viewed YouTube video of all time. That's a narrative video. That's all about mm-hmm. like high fashion and great composition and the so story. So is uh, Wildest Dreams, the newer one. Yeah, and I mean, yes, it's playing into kind of like Tumblr emotion, if you will. But uh, I don't really think... It's to- very gifable, but Blank Space is a totally narrative uh, uh, story. It's a narrative film. And, and it's composed like one. This is not flashy. This is like a movie. And it... it and all of her videos coming off of that album have been very cinematic and different styles. Uh, and I would liken them more to those Taylor. Disney picture books that you'd read along with the record, huh. where it's like you're seeing images that are representative of the song and definitely go along with the song. But I can't. I don't think Blank Space is a, like a full narrative in the way that I'd be like, let that man direct the next the blankety blank Michael Fassbender movie. Well, that's Assassin's Creed, so he probably could. <laughs> No, but these people, I mean, music video directors are still graduating to feature film direct. I mean, Mark Webb is someone who probably just shot for the suits and did a serviceable job and had a take uh, that was deeply cinematic and not super flashy. And then he made 500 Days of Summer. You know, these people are segueing That masterpiece. Yes, well, for many people, not us. But then you do have the reverse. I mean, you're absolutely right. Music videos are more product. When I read about David Dobkin... We were talking about this music video before the segment. Um, Adam Levine and Maroon 5's Sugar. 
this one where they're crashing weddings. Oh, who better to get than David Dobkin, the director of Wedding Crashers? Oh, and everyone <laughs> loved that video so much. Adam Levine and David Dobkin are now going to make a reality show about crashing weddings as wedding bands. It's just like it's complete nonsense. And there's a Hollywood That's fun. invasion. It's like let's take let's take the least popular thing that we've ever done. Highlight that. That's the most noxious thing in Adam Levine's career. Look up how many uh, views that video has. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure a bazillion. I saw it on TV, and they're not even counting that so many times on VH1. But um, you're the one. I demand answers. I demand like a Benghazi-like investigation into the the that video to how much the brides knew. And when uh, they knew it, you said you right, said I demand answers, and I heard I demand dancers, and I was about to spring <laughs> to your your defense. But it can, I mean, like, fine. I mean, I I would love to have dancers at my Senate hearing about the Moon Five <laughs> video, just like but I would I'd, love for them to have been dancers at the Hillary Clinton video that got I'd, her elected president. I'm so, happy with where we are because I'd rather have spectacle music videos because I don't trust the majority of the people in my life or that I've ever heard of to tell a concise two minute and 30 second story to me. Maroon, uh, it's just like really difficult for anybody. Uh, Sugar has gotten 817 million YouTube views. Uh, can, can we, can we wrap up the segment? What did you think of the Adele? Hello video? We didn't really take, have a critical take here of uh, Dolan's latest work. I, I thought that it was very, I mean, I have not read his justification on shooting IMAX. Uh, I think that would be really interesting, and I would love to know what compelled him to do that, other than the fact that he's Xavier Dolan, and he wants to do what he wants. Uh, but I thought that it was a... It, it's very much in sync with the song. It It is, is immediately inextricable, which is certainly a sign of effectiveness that, like, I think that it, it so dovetails with the, the mood of the music that they're sort of hard to pull apart. And um, I think that shooting it in the first person as he often does, and having it, you know, Adele's hands uh, interacting with her former lover, his feeling of helplessness. But, I mean, I think that it's all very in tune with the music, and that it's not groundbreaking or anything, but I think their sensibilities align so well that it, that it works very well for the song. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I, I watched... I'm, oh, go. I watched half of it on my phone. That's <laughs> Half of it <laughs> on your phone. Shot on IMAX, viewed on iPhone. I didn't... Where else are you supposed to watch a music video? Am I YouTube? supposed to like rent out an IMAX screen? I mean, it was on YouTube. It was YouTube. on my phone. Where most people watch YouTube. things from YouTube is on their watch phone. Watch it in your personal IMAX theater at home. Most people watch everything on their phone. I'm not. I thought it was a bold here. decision. I mean, I'm sure Adele knew that she has anyone's attention that she wanted, but it's a bold decision for your comeback single to have a video where the song doesn't start for almost two minutes. Yeah, that's why I watched half of it. I mean, that's because everyone was going to watch, so why why not? Right, no, why I mean, more power to her. Um, well, I mean, there's a downside to that. I learned by re-watching the official Power of Love video by Huey Lewis awesome. in the news this week. Oh, boy. Oh, like four minutes of lead-in. Just horrible. Uh, he's telling the audience they're, like, doing in the movie business. It's just so bad. Anyway, this the Dell video is uh, good. Why shoot it on yeah, IMAX? Yeah, no, though? you know why you shoot on IMAX? For clarity, for to have this glow to her i don't think you could get it just shooting digital it, i mean it looks stunning she is, is a uh, she's glowing in this uh in this film i'll call it a film and and so is the mm-hmm. guy opposite her i'm not sure of his name but he the guy from the wire yeah equally I don't know radiant um, wait what um uh, yeah. Did you not get that far in the video? Yeah, I, I remember there being a guy, but I don't remember him being from the wire. He, See, if I, you were on a bigger screen, you would have been. I know, I would have figured this out. 
Um, anyway, Adele, man. Just good, doing it. Good pick. Oh, it's Hello. Tristan Wilds. Yeah. Was it me you're looking for? All right. Wait, that's the song, right? No, I don't think so. Damn it. Hello from the other side. That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back on Friday with the review of Our Brand is Crisis, in which every role is recast to be played by Sandra Bullock. Did you hear? That's the gimmick. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches. I am senior writer at Esquire.com, and I am on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where you can uh, share, you can comment on uh, our posts, and you can uh, tell us what movie Sandra Bullock should be in. We should recast this entire podcast with Sandra Bullock. It would be so much better, I think. Probably. <laughs> Dis. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer at Rolling Stone. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find all of us at the website that was at the center of the conflict in the film that we talked about this week, The Social Network. It's called Facebook. And you can go there and find us at Fighting in the World. your iPhone, invented by Steve Jobs. (laughs) I'm Dave Gonzalez. Spell my first name, DA70. That's also my Twitter handle. If we were all Sandra Bullocks, I would be the one from Speed that was unable to slow down the bus. And I do a podcast about comics called The Thought Bubble, also at fightinginthewarroom.com, where you could find lots of good podcasts, including a surprise episode of Storm of Spoilers we did last week. That it's not a surprise about anymore. Game of Thrones. It's not anymore. It's too late. It was a surprise when it came out. I'm excited to listen. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can uh, find my homemade uh, remake of the Adele music video starring Sandra Bullock in all of the roles. No, only half of it. Oh. Oh, wait, only, oh, yeah, I only watch half of it. I can't be bothered to watch the rest even for my remake. Uh, you can also find me at VanityFair.com or on Twitter at K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Twitter is also where all of us are at F-I-T-W-R, talking to you, talking to each other, and uh, talking about this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Our Brand is Crisis, what movie role that was played by a man should be played by Sandra Bullock? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Take you